Good morning, New Life. It is so good to be with you this morning, whether you're here in the room with me on this warm but not too, too hot day, um, or if you're joining us online, I am so glad you are here and so glad to share the Word of God with you this morning. Um, before I dig in, I want to also let you know that Pastor Rich and his family are on vacation still. They are resting and spending time connecting as a family and and just having some extended Sabbath. And so it's a beautiful thing. And so would you keep them in prayer? Uh, Pastor Rich gives so much to our church and to the life of uh, Christians. And, um, and we want to make sure that he too is able to have some extended time of rest and receiving from God. Amen? Amen. And so with that, this week we are continuing our series on the lexicon of faith. And this has been a great series. There have been some great messages. If you've missed any, I highly encourage you. I know we're traveling and vacation and busy on weekends, but if you've missed a message, I highly encourage you to give it a listen. If it's on the podcast or on our website, we've covered gospel, which is so foundational to everything we do here, uh, grace. And then last week, Pastor Helen brought us a message about the word sin, which was so powerful and helps us really understand um, our faith better. But um, before I dig into my word, I want to just remind us what lexicon means, because lexicon is not a, a, a common word that we use every day. And so I want to remind you that lexicon um, is a word that kind of means of shared vocabulary, words that we use within a certain context or in a certain activity or in a certain set of beliefs. And our case. So the best example of a lexicon that I can give is um, when you think about sports. Um, so if you are in baseball and someone gives you a good pitch and you swing and you miss, it's called a strike. If you're in tennis though and someone serves the ball to you and it's a good serve and you swing and you miss, it's called a fault. Okay, these are two different words in each, in the lexicon of baseball and the lexicon of tennis. Um, that's shared language in each sport. And, you know, each sport has its own word for missing things or messing up with the ball. And I learned all of these words as I went through school growing up in gym class, and I missed out on every sport. I always seemed to do the wrong thing with the ball. So I would strike. I learned incomplete pass. I learned foul, penalty. Um, I learned, of course, strike and fault. Air ball is another one I heard and learned. Um, and so each sport I learned had its own vocabulary for when you are not good at it. And, um, and so um, <laughs> that's a little insight into me. But, um, but with church and with Christian faith, it's the same thing. We have a set of vocabulary, like I've said, gospel, grace, sin, and many others that we're going to cover. And so it's important that because language affects how we think, how we interact with each other, it makes, helps us to be sure that we're saying the same thing. And so it's important that we cover these words every so often and remind ourselves of the depth and the rich richness of each one of these words and so I just explained lexicon to you and today I'm going to explain faith um, I'm going to cover the word faith um, and it's a big word it's a word that we all assume we're talking about the same thing and we can use it differently in different contexts but what does it mean as Christians when we use the word faith um, and so I'm really excited to, to dig into that today. And so the passage I want to look at as we explore this and really delve into what does this mean is Hebrews 11. Um, I thought of all the scriptures that talk about faith, and so many came to mind. But when I really thought about it, this is the one that it just felt like it summarized so much about faith, both the mystery and what we know about it. And so um, let's read Hebrews 11. We're just going to read verses 1 through 3 this morning. Um, Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith, our ancestors received approval. By faith, our ancestors received approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. Let's take a moment to pray. Uh, Lord, we are so grateful this morning that 
we can explore these words, these powerful words that um, help us to connect with you and to help us to even have language around how deep this relationship with you can go. And so, Lord, would you guide us through your word? Would you bring your word alive to us this morning? Would you, by your spirit, awaken a deeper faith in us? Would you even create a longing, Lord, to trust you more and to lean on you that much more? Would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 And so, you know, faith is not an uncommon word, right? We use it all the time. We hear it all the time. And oftentimes we use it interchangeably with the word beliefs. So, you know, someone may ask you, like, are you a person of faith? You know, or what faith tradition are you a part of? You know, what they're essentially asking is, you know, do you, what do you believe? Are you a religious person, right? And that's what they're, they're seeking. Are you a religious person? What are your religious and spiritual beliefs? Is there a word that encapsulates that? And so that's not a bad thing, you know? That's not actually in, in, it's not in conflict with what we see in the Bible. But what I would suggest is that what we see in the Bible around faith is a little deeper and a little more complex than that. Um, and so I don't want us to miss that because of how we use it kind of in everyday language. When we look at something like the Old Testament, we realize faith is used for more than just having the right set of beliefs. Um, that is part of it. But faith goes a little deeper. See, in the Old Testament, people, ancient people in that time did not necessarily have a question of if they're going to believe. Virtually everyone in the ancient world had some sort of spiritual or religious belief. So the question being answered over and over again in the Old Testament is not if you should believe, but the question is who should you believe? Because everyone believed in some set of gods or God. Everyone had some kind of faith in the spiritual world and believed something to be true about how to navigate the spiritual world. And so the question was, who will you believe? And the question that gets answered over and over in the Old Testament is, is the God of Israel, what is his character, who is he? And is he worthy of being trusted? Is he worthy of being followed? Is he actually the true God above all other gods? And so that's why I want to frame today as faith is not just simply belief or the right set of beliefs, but I want to frame faith as actually trust. That faith is essentially and really in the simplest form, it's trust. It's all about whether we are going to trust something to lean on it, to believe that we can depend on it, that we can uh, give our lives to it. And that's the thing that's being pointed out over and over in the Old Testament, is that the God of Israel is good, that he is loving, that he cares for the people he created, that he cares so much he has made a deep commitment to these people, to the people of the earth, to all human beings. And because he is so good, he is the God that is worthy of all your trust, that you can trust him with your life, that you can trust him with your future, that you can trust him with everything that you are, and that you, can, you don't have to give that trust to any other gods. You don't have to fear anything else. You can trust this God. Now, I know on the surface... That context is a little hard for us to relate to because no one is asking those questions now in the same way. Now the questions are, what do you believe? Do you believe at all? If you believe, what do you believe? And that's more of that New Testament context. But we're not that as different maybe from the Old Testament as we might want to think. All of us at some point, when we frame faith as trust, we can relate to that. All of us at some point have to put our trust in someone or something. When the chips are down, when the rubber hits the road, when things are hard, when your back is against the wall, who are you turning to? What are you leaning on? What, is going to, what are you depending on to keep you in all circumstances when things are hard? And can that thing support you? When the bottom falls out, Will that thing hold you up? That's a question that's still relevant today. 
And so I want to hold that before you as we keep digging. But the New Testament is asking more of a question that many of us hold and many of the people we work with and we go to school with are holding. It's the question of, do you believe? And if so, what or who do you believe in? What framework do you have? Maybe it's not a religion. Maybe it's a philosophy like the Greek world had in the first century when Jesus came. There were all these new philosophies, all these different ways of framing uh, an understanding of life. And so in theory, yeah, you could trust a God, but you could also trust other things. And so there's a big shift here. In the Old Testament, if you trusted Jesus with your life, I'm sorry, if you trusted God with your life, the God of Israel with your life, what did it look like? It looked like obedience. Trust lived out in the Old Testament looked like obedience. Because God laid out what a faithful life looks like, a trustworthy life looked like. And so ultimately, faith bears fruit in obedience. You would obey God's law. You would trust that he's your creator, that he fashioned these laws because he knows, because he designed humans, he knows what will make humans flourish to their fullest capacity, what will keep them safe, what will give them the richest life. And so obedience became the primary way we lived out that trust. But in the New Testament, where people are asking a different set of questions, it looks very different. In the New Testament, Jesus comes in and he answers both those questions of what will you believe and who will you believe. In his life, in his death, in his resurrection, in his seating at the right hand of the Father, he has answered once and for all that God is truly good, that God is so committed to your good and to the good of humanity that he will stop at nothing, even risking his own life to make sure that you can have access to everything that would allow you to flourish and live in the fullness of what God has all that he intended for humanity. He opened the way for the Holy Spirit to be here so that you can be filled with the Spirit. And here's the beauty, that now Jesus, who perfectly trusted God, who lived that perfectly faithful life that Israel struggled to live, that we struggle to live, he lived it. He showed us what pure and complete trust in God looks like and gave us that example And not only did he do it, he did it in a way that now takes that pressure off us. We don't need the law to show us faithfulness. We have something greater. The law was good, but Jesus is greater. And so now we have that Holy Spirit in us, guiding us, showing us, leading us, prompting us into that fullness and into further and deeper trust. This is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And it's not something that we should take for granted. Because here in the Old Testament, even in Hebrews 11, we see, and I hope and pray that you can read more of Hebrews 11 later today or later this week. It is such an amazing summary of all the people that came before Jesus and how they had to trust, not knowing where God would lead how they had to trust even when they wanted to turn back at times. They had to trust even when they could not see the rewards in their own lifetime. And here we are, we have seen Jesus. We have the testimony of his life and the revelation of him. We have the Holy Spirit in us. We have the opportunity for deep, deep trust. And so what does that mean for us? That means for us on the other side of Jesus, faith lived out actually looks like dependence. Obedience is still important. Obedience is still there, but Jesus perfectly obeyed and will lead us into further and deeper obedience. But how? By us depending on him by us depending on his sacrifice, by us depending on his example, by us depending on his words that are preserved for us in scripture, by us depending on the Holy Spirit that he allowed uh, by his sacrifice to come and fill us. Our life of deep trust and deep faith is now anchored in dependence. And so now we can live this life of of perfect obedience not because we are perfectly faithful 
because we all know we, we fall short in that, every last one of us. Not because we are perfectly able to trust God in everything. No, we struggle with that too. But because Jesus has paved a way. Amen. That is some good news. And now we can have radical trust that our ancestors in Christ only dreamed of because of the Holy Spirit and because of Jesus. And so I want to ask you just right now, pause for a moment and say, where are you struggling with that kind of trust? Where is that hard for you today? Is it trusting God with, um, with your finances? Is it trusting God with the next step in your career? Is it trusting God with some major life decision, whether to move or whether to stay or whether to buy or whether to rent or whether to put your kid in this school or that school? Is it care for a loved one? For me and for Andrew in our season right now, it's trusting God with our adult children, our young adult children, as they are now both in college, which is crazy uh, to think about, but now we are trying to release them more and more into their adulthood. And we are having to find new ways of trusting God with two people we have invested so much of our lives in. And it is not always easy for us. We all have places and seasons where God is stretching us in that trust and inviting us to more and more trust in him. And so where is that for you today? Where is that invitation? Where is it a little hard? But here's the thing. Trust and dependence, all of that, the ultimate outcome of that is also then love. The fruit of this, if we're doing it well and we're growing in it, is that we're also growing in love, that people are experiencing more and more love from us. And so we look at Galatians 5, verse 6. And it says, for in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. But here's the key. The only thing that counts is faith working through love. If we are doing this well, if we are growing and deepening our trust and our faith in Jesus, then the outcome of that is that we are going to be growing deeper in love and that people are going to experience our faith as love and care. The uh, New Testament scholar and theologian Nijay Gupta puts it like this, and it, this is really helpful. Genuine faith is an everywhere, all the time thing. As Paul made clear, it comes to life in love and service. Faith means listening to God and doing what pleases him, and so often this means extending love and care to the other. This means that when we grow in dependence and trust in Jesus, leaning on him, letting him guide us, it means that more and more of the world is going to experience greater and greater love. They're going to see the goodness of God, not just from what we say, but from what they experience from us, from his people. Amen? It's going to look like love. This is not just to deepen our own personal life, to make us better, to make us less anxious. It is a gift to the world that we offer. And so if we are deepening this trust, it's going to look like that. And so, okay, this sounds great, right? This sounds beautiful and lofty and aspirational, but I know you're wondering, and I would be wondering the same thing, how am I going to do this? <laughs> how am I going to leave this church with all these lovely people and step out into the subway or onto the pavement and go to work tomorrow or go visit my loved one tomorrow and still try to deepen my trust and lean on him? What does it really look like? How do I actually live this out? Well, first of all, prayer is essential. Um, I can't say enough about that, and there's a lot of spaces here at New Life where you can deepen and learn more about prayer, but I will say this at the basic, at the basic ground floor. You cannot grow in trust and dependence on anyone that you are not regularly in contact with. You just can't do it. And so if you are not cultivating a life of prayer where you are communing with God, where you are communicating with God, where you are listening to God, where you, be, you are before him, that is the first place. 
I can't learn to trust another human being without spending some one-on-one time with him or her. And you are not gonna be able to do that with God, with Jesus, without spending some quality time with him. And so what does that look like to deepen your prayer life? To even start if you don't have a regular rhythm, maybe just having a time once a day where you start and then eventually increasing that, you know, multiple times a day, pausing at lunch, pausing at night. Where are those habits of prayer and communion where trust can be built? and faith can be deepened. The second thing, of course, is scripture. So important, um, because here's the thing. Scripture captures the witness of so many stories of faith, of how the people of God over the centuries and millennia chose to trust him in the face of unbelievable odds, in times of being mocked, in times of being persecuted, in times of being called strange, in times of attack, in times of surrender. What did it look like? You will see that testimony over and over and again. And I cannot say this enough. Please read Hebrews 11 this week because it will encourage you as you hear those stories and it will make you hungry to go back and read not just those summary statements but to read those stories and how agonizing it was to choose to trust time and time again and to choose to follow the stories of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Rahab and Esther and Ruth. These are all powerful stories of trust, and they will encourage you. But third, I want to point you to your own testimony. Your own story is a revelation of why you can continue to keep trusting God and to his goodness. And I know this can be a little challenging and it can be a little bit like, how do I do that? Because our culture really values looking ahead to the future. You know, our culture is very oriented forward. You know, our culture is very much about like, look forward into the future, you know, anticipate the obstacles, make a strategic plan, pick a goal all the way out there, and then go hard after it, you know, and do what you have to do, have the drive to get there, and, um, and you can do anything you set your mind to and overcome every obstacle. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with setting goals. I actually think setting goals is a fantastic thing. Having a vision for your future is an important thing. But I think we overstate and overemphasize just how much of the future we can control or anticipate or make happen. How much of our destiny that is in our actual hands. I think we overstate that. And I think that we need a little more humility. And if anything has been proven to us over the last three, four years, is that we cannot anticipate everything. That while plans are good things, there's a lot of the future that is not in our hands. And so what does this look like practically? Like, I think the ancient people would have said something different than like, if this is like the timeline, right, that I'm walking on from, you know, kind of from the, the keyboard to this monitor, and this is the future, right? And behind me is the past. You know, our culture says, look forward and step boldly, take the next step and the next step until you get to your goal, right? And fix your eyes on that goal. And like I said, that's not all bad. But the ancient people would have said, and actually a lot of the global church now would still say, that actually our orientation should be this way, towards the past, Not in a way where we're fixated on the past or tethered to it or limited by it, but that actually we recognize in this posture that I can't see the future with perfect clarity. I can't know everything that's out here. But what I can know is what's here. I can know everything that has happened in my story to lead to this moment. And so when I have to think about taking a step backward into the future, a little bit blindly, without full vision of what's there, what I rest on is the fact that I can see testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony in my own life of how God has sustained me and got me here. That all along the way, my path has been riddled with the hand print of God and that I know that the God that kept me there and the God that intervened here and the God that showed up when I thought it was not going to work out came here that God is holding my hand and guiding me 
step by step. And so I can't see, I can't know, I don't have certainty here. That's God's domain to have certainty. But I do have certainty in his character. I have certainty in his goodness. I have certainty that he steps in time and time again. That even when I think it's too late for God to do something, he shows up. That time and time again, when I thought something was a coincidence, it was actually the hand of God. That is what we rely on. That is what we hold on to. And that is what we see. And I'm asking you, uh, saints of God, beloved of God, that ask Jesus to show you in your own story. Take some time this week and ask him, remind me of all those places. Look back at your own story. If you're having a hard time seeing, pray and ask him, Holy Spirit, show me all those moments, even things I wrote off as coincidence or luck. But really, your mercy was at work. Your grace was at work. Even if you are someone that is not a person that believes in Jesus, I invite you as a challenge to ask him to show you, have you been at work in my life? Were there moments that I thought were coincidence that were actually God? Because here's the thing. From my own story, that has been wildly true. I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up in that kind of environment. And there's a reason that I was highly resistant to it. I grew up in a very, very violent home. And it's not something I talk about all the time, but I have shared it here, but it's been a long time since I've shared this. But I lived in a home where my father was mentally ill. He turned to alcohol, and he was an alcoholic. And my home was a violent one. When he drank, he was violent. Um, over the years, he became more and more violent. And I lived in a terrible situation. And um, long story short, the violence only escalated, and I would trust in my ability. I thought, there's no God. There can't be a God. You know, like, I am in, I'm suffering here. I'm not a horrible person. And instead, I, rely, I did what I learned, which is rely on my intellect, rely on my ability to plan, rely on my, my smarts, anticipate, strategize. And I would do everything I could to de-escalate my dad, to intervene so that he wouldn't hit my mother, to try to do anything to manage this household and keep it together. And I kept thinking, if I can keep it together long enough and I can get a college degree and I can get a job then I, I would have money, and then money would solve a whole bunch of problems, and then I could do all these things. I had all these plans. But what happened was, just before my senior year of high school, the violence escalated uh, once again, and my father killed my mother. And it was, as you might imagine, utterly, utterly devastating. My life was turned upside down and everything that I thought I could hold on to and do and make happen and all the work that I had put in to keep things together just crumbled. And I had no hope. I mean, truly no hope. And I, who was so resistant to any faith, but especially Christians, was even turning to people and saying, well, I guess you can pray for me. Because here's the thing, I thought Christians were kind of how can I say this? Not very smart? I thought, I thought that Christians lived in this little bubble world. There's a person that I would think of growing up. I would think of Ned Flanders. <laughs> and I thought Christians had to shut off part of their brain to believe in God. And I just couldn't do that. I believed in my intellect and my logic and my ability to figure things out. And I believed in science and rationale. And I thought, you have to be like Ned Flanders. He's this character on The Simpsons who, you know, basically was always like happy and silly and joyful and kind of not on earth with the rest of humanity like Homer and, and Marge, you know. He was kind of in the stratosphere and everything was happy. But it, at least in the beginning of The Simpsons, most of his life was good. So it's easy to be happy and trust, right? And what I started to realize when I encountered these Christians, they were the ones that showed up time and time again. They were the ones that kept coming even when it was hard, even when I was frankly rude and difficult with them. They were the ones that kept coming. In fact, the people I was the worst to were the ones that showed up and did all the ugly stuff with me 
and helped me figure all kinds of things out. When my dad was in jail and I was trying to figure out how to reorganize re my whole life. And I was grieving. And here's the thing I learned from them. You know, I thought, like I said, Christians had to shut off part of their brain to believe and to trust. And the reason I partly thought that was because of like, again, all my interest in science and all this. But I learned even in science, there are a lot of things that are indirect evidence. There are things you can't fully see yet. But we anticipate and we develop technology so that we can see it. So atoms, I remember in chemistry, I was blown away by this. We knew atoms existed, but we knew from how atoms behaved that there were actually subatomic particles. There were electrons and neutrons and protons. But we couldn't see them. But we just inferred that they existed because of how atoms behaved. And then eventually, because of that belief, we developed technology and found ways to be able to see them, to photograph them or x-ray them. We can actually see some evidence of their existence now. And so there is a place for indirect evidence. I can't give you enough evidence in like measurable, I can't, you know, show you evidence. I can't show you a letter written by Jesus that says, when, I, when this happened to you, that was me intervening. I can't do that for you. But what I can do is say, your life is filled with indirect evidence of God at work, whether you believe or not. And so this is what this family explained to me that, um, that drew really close to me during the worst time of my life, when I was actually truly terrible to them. They talked about a tapestry. And when I was in India this summer, I was actually able to take a picture of something hand-woven to show this. They said life is like this tapestry, that right now we can only see the backside of it. And we're being told it's a beautiful work of art with great intention and detail. But this doesn't look detailed. I mean, it's not ugly. There's colors and, you know, there's some, there looks to be some order. But it doesn't look like anything other than colors blurred together and thread and knots. And we're being told it's a beautiful work of art, but this is all we see. We see knots and threads and tangles and shapes and colors. But here's the thing. As people of faith, as people of trust, as Christian people that follow Jesus, we know that at some point we will see more clearly and we will see the other side of this tapestry. And we will see that the other side is a work of art. That the other side does have shape and definition. And there was intention behind the colors and where they're placed. We do see, oh, that was a flower. And then there's a stem. And that stem connects to a leaf. All of it made sense. All of it had purpose. Every thread, every knot, every color was not random. It was thought out. And it was done with intention and care. Your life is like that. I know it's one thing to hear some kind of out-of-this-world testimony that I'm giving you of like, it's very dramatic. But even if your life is not that dramatic, I am just an ordinary person. I know it looks like, oh, here I am a pastor preaching a message and I work for a church. And, but this is my life's commitment. Before anyone paid me to give sermons or anything, this is what I committed to my life to is to preaching this message. Why? To encourage people to trust Jesus and follow through. Why? Because I, I would not stand here before you today and encourage you to follow Jesus unless I knew with 100% certainty that he is worthy of that trust. <laughs> time and time again, I put my life in his hands. And he has come through. He has never failed. And I'm telling you, I have seen some terrible things. And I know many of you in this room have too. I have walked with some of you. I've heard your stories. And I've heard your testimony. And I know that you also know, many of you can testify, not just me, that God, that Jesus shows up every time. 
that he does not fail, that when it seems like it is over, it is done, it is toast, when you are at the end of yourself, when you are at the end of your family, when you're at the end of your money, when you're at the end of every possibility, Jesus is going to hold you, support you, carry you, keep you, and not just that, but help you to thrive and give you a future that is so worth it. He is so worth it. So if your life is like this, the back of this tapestry, if we can show that again, your life may look like this in one area. Your life may look like this all over. And I'm telling you at multiple points of my life, my whole life looked like this. And I'm telling you with 100% certainty that he will make something beautiful out of your life. That I am not special in that way. I am just someone proclaiming that message. But that he loves you and your life is that important to him that he will take every loose end. He will weave, he will work, he will tie the knots, and he will make a masterpiece if you trust him. And so I want to ask you today, even when you're legitimately afraid, even when you're terrified of that next step and taking a step blindly into the future or somewhat blindly into the future, are you willing to trust him today? As Christians, what does that look like for you? To take another step of trust, to deepen that trust, And for those of you who may be here or watching and don't know Jesus yet, have not even considered trusting him in this way, I want you to know it is worth the risk. It is worth taking the chance and putting your life in his hands. I was not always sure of that, but for the last 26 years, I am 100% certain that it is worth the risk. As I invite the worship team up, I just want to assure you that whatever it is you are going through, whatever it is that you are struggling with, wherever it is that you are struggling to trust and lean in and depend on Jesus, he is worthy and he will prove it to you. Just ask him in. Ask him. Lean on him. Look to him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you provide us with testimony and testimony and testimony that you are trustworthy, that you are the only trustworthy one, that you are the one that keeps us, even when we are not super Christians, because Jesus, you came to be that super Christian. You were the perfect one. And so you have opened the way that even if we have the smallest amount of faith, the smallest amount of trust, that you can move even with that small mustard seed of trust. That, Lord, you can transform, that you can turn our lives upside down in the best possible way when we lean on you. And, Lord, it's not just our own lives. Scripture is filled with testimony after testimony of who you are. Jesus, when we look at your life and we read the Gospels, we see over and over again that you are worthy of trust, that you love us, that you care, that you have good things for us, that your way is the way of life if we would only follow you and trust you. And so, Lord, would you expand and grow and deepen our ability to trust, expand and grow and deepen our faith. Would you help us, Jesus, wherever we are struggling to let go wherever we are struggling to trust, wherever we are clinging on to our anxieties, wherever we are clinging on to our own ability to do things, would you slowly allow us to open our hands and lean on you? We ask all these things humbly as we step backward into the future. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing in response together. We believe in promise. 
give Pastor Sharon a hand. Beautiful word. As we prepare for communion, uh, I just want to give you a, a reflection as you think about your confession before God today and remembering his faithfulness, right? His faithfulness. So over this past week, think about this past week. And what are the times where you find your, found yourself or currently find yourself trusting in something or someone other than Jesus? What were those moments where you leaned to this, that, or this person or that person instead of going to the Lord himself? Just take some moments, think about that, ask the Holy Spirit to surface it within you and offer it to him. Amen. Let's share a prayer of confession together. Almighty God, our heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and our neighbor through our own fault, in thought, in word, in deed, in what we have done and what we have left undone. For the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, forgive us all our offenses and grant that we may serve you in the newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen. And on the night that our Lord Jesus Christ was betrayed, he took the bread, he blessed it, and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Let's take together. And likewise, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat the bread or drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Or you might say that whenever you take the bread and the cup, you remember, you look towards history, you remember his crucifixion, and you look forward to his coming again. Let's take together. As Christians, for many of us, it's easy to kind of look at, listen to a sermon like this and think, well, of course, I'm a Christian. I trust in Jesus. Amen. I trust in Jesus. But if we're honest with ourselves, if I'm honest with myself, the truth lies in Monday through Saturday. And so tomorrow, when you are a home parent and you're struggling with all the issues of what it means to sometimes be isolated, be alone, trying to work with your kids and, and do the things you need to do and feeling all the feelings and struggling, what do you reach for? And when you go to work and your boss that you don't necessarily care for or respect behaves the way they always behave, what do you reach for? Are you trusting as a student in your straight A's? Are you trusting in your obedience to do all things right? What are we really actually living? Are we actually in our lives showing and demonstrating that we put our trust in Jesus? And I can honestly say that I don't do that. Not all the time. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not anything, it's just the reality. I'm flawed. And so what are you going to do so that you can offer this to him and he can help you along the way to recognize, to remember, 
in the stressful times that he is faithful to you. When all is well, it's easy, isn't it? We're hallelujah all the way. But when the crisis point comes, what we do defines us. And this is not judgment. It's living in truth so that we can receive grace. If we don't live in truth, we're not going to have access to grace. Amen? So I'm going to ask the prayer team to come to my right. If you'd like to have someone pray for you, you realize what's going on, and you realize the things that you're grasping towards and reaching towards, and you want someone to pray and give you that strength to seek Jesus and continue to grasp towards him, come and have someone pray for you. And for the others of us, remember, Pastor Sharon gave us two things. How do we develop a life of silence and prayer before God so that on a regular basis, we are, we are confessing, we're bringing up those things. We're saying, I missed it. I need your grace. Simple. It's simple. Just offering our struggles, our trials to him, to the one that we say that we trust in. The one that we say we know is worth it. Well, how do we commit ourselves to that? So prayer is one way. And then reading scripture, reading the stories of his faithfulness in scripture, reminding ourselves of who this God is and that he is 100% trustworthy, demonstrated by scripture. And then journaling. Look at your own life. Where are the moments that he came through for you? There are more than you probably realize. The question is having the attentiveness to recognize that. Even when you weren't a Christian, the fact that you're, still, that you're here now, God was at work when you didn't recognize it. So how do we develop a life of looking to history of our own lives, seeing his movement, seeing his patterns, so that we can be encouraged today? So let's just try that. Let's try this week to take one of those things, step into it, and just see what our God might do for us and with us. Amen? So I'm going to ask you to open your hands. Oh, if, I'm sorry. First, I want to just share a couple of things. For those of you um, that don't know Jesus, you're hearing all this, and I know there's a couple of you either online watching us or in this room. Remember, he is faithful. And so take a risk, scan the QR code, and let one of our passages reach out to you. It's no obligation, there is no pressure, but how can you learn who this Jesus is that we talk to you about? We can be, help you begin that journey. And if you have been a, a follower of Christ but have not been baptized, that's another wonderful thing that he offers to you. And you can scan the QR code for that. There will also be a baptism class coming up that Pastor Sharon leads where she explains what baptism is, what's going to happen, what is the significant of it, why it is a sacrament. She'll talk you through all that if you're concerned or you're just not even really sure if this is something you want to do. Sign up for that class and she'll be there to support you in your journey of baptism. So let me pray for us. Just open your hands. And so brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, as you gaze into the eyes of the Father, remember his faithfulness towards you. As you look up and see the love in his eyes, directed, specified for you, Know that you're precious in his sight. Know that he will never, ever, ever leave you or forsake you. Live in truth and receive his grace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all. Have a great week. See you next week.